Amen. Well, this morning is a very, very special morning because it's Mother's Day. And uh, today I get to introduce to you a very, very special speaker uh, to the stage this morning. Uh, she is the most courageous person that I know. Uh, and it's because one of the reasons is that uh, it takes a very courageous person to be married to someone like me. Uh, not just that, but many of you guys know her uh, as an amazing, incredible pastor and leader in our lives. Uh, she's the most amazing mom that I know. She's the best wife I could ever ask for. Uh, sometimes I have to pinch myself to convince myself that life with her is actually real, that I'm not just imagining the blessings that I get to enjoy with her every single day. And if you're here at Thrive Church and you know Pastor Shar, you know how blessed we are to have her here year after year, day after day, week after week. We wouldn't be here without her. And so we're so incredibly thankful for her this morning as she gets ready to preach the word of God. She's got a powerful, courageous message to share with all of us this morning. And so would you join me in welcoming the one and only, the beautiful, the amazing Pastor Charlene. Can we give her a big, big hand in this place right now? Good morning, Thrive Church. It really brings me so much joy to be standing here today and to share God's message with you. I remember last year after Mother's Day, you know, Pastor Jay and I were just chatting and, and he was like, hey, I think it would be kind of cool if you shared the message next year. And, uh, and at the time I wasn't pregnant and I was like, sure, you know, I'd be up for it. And uh, fast forward a couple months, I find out that I'm, um, I'm expecting and that we're actually expecting in July. And so the naive part of me thought maybe this would become like my exempt card for speaking on Mother's Day. But we didn't talk about it. And so then a couple months rolled by and uh, this past April, we're talking about Mother's Day again. And we're planning, we're praying, we're thinking about what do we do for Mother's Day to bless the moms here at Thrive. And Pastor JB is like, you're speaking, right? And I look at him, I look at my belly, and I'm like, are you kidding? The last thing I want to do is to stand up there on stage and look like a beluga whale. And, uh, you know, of course, Pastor JB is the understanding, the compassionate, and the loving husband that he is. He didn't force me to do anything. But as I prayed about it more, I just sensed this um, passion in my heart to serve God with my life. And I couldn't even really believe it myself, but this passion was so strong. My desire to serve God was so strong that it actually like, was greater than my concern for the way that I look in front of my church family. And so I went back to Pastor JB and I said, all right, Pastor JB, I've prayed about it. I know you're not forcing me to do anything, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it even, if it, even if it means that I'm going to have to sacrifice my pretty high heels and wear sneakers that day. I'm going to stand up there and I'm going to preach the Mother's Day message. Give God a big hand in this place. And once again, I just want to wish all the moms in this place a very, very happy Mother's Day. You know, mothers, I believe, are truly gifts from God. I look at my own life, and um, I look at the two mums that God has given me, my own biological mum, who's in Taiwan right now, and my mother-in-law, who's not able to join us today because she's serving at her own church. And, um, and I'm just so thankful and so grateful for the two amazing women of God that God has placed in my life to show me every single day what it means to be an amazing mom just by being the way that they are. 
My mom and my mother-in-law are two of the most courageous women and God-fearing women that you will find. And they are people who walk the talk. They are Proverbs 31 women in action. And they, like, there's just no words to describe how amazing they are. They put their families first, and they love their families with all their hearts. And I'm so grateful for that. Patrick, J.B. and I would not be the people that we are today if it weren't for their love, their guidance, their encouragement, and their support over the years. But I also know that Mother's Day is not an easy day for many of us. For many of us, it's actually a day with a lot of mixed emotions. For many of us, maybe your mom lives far away and you wish that you could see her more often. And for many of us, for, you know, reasons beyond our control, maybe this is a day where you're actually grieving the loss of your mother. And for some of us here, maybe your mom is going through a really rough time right now. And, um, and you know, maybe it's her health. Maybe it's her life circumstance. Whatever it might be, you just you feel completely helpless and you just wish that things could be different. But whatever your circumstances might be, I'm here to tell you that there is a God in heaven who loves you tremendously, who has a plan for your life. And I believe that today he wants to show you the love, the grace, and the mercy in a way perhaps you have never encountered before. And so before I get started, I thought I would tell you a little bit about my family. Is that okay? So 15 years ago, um, I made one of the best decisions in my life to, ma- to, to marry Pastor JB. And we married, er, we married young, according to today's, today's standards. I was 22, and he was 24, and we had both just graduated from university. And so we thought, you know, we're young. You know, we don't have kids right now. And so we can do a lot of things, like traveling and, um, you know, do stuff that uh, we've always wanted to do. And so we actually waited nine years before we started a family, before our first child came into the picture. And while I wish someone had told me how children can really flip your life upside down, because in, in a good way, of course, right? In a good way, in the best way. But definitely, we had our sleepless nights. We had, you know, the long stretches of, stretches of nights where we're feeding, where we're rocking our child to sleep, and while our arms are about to fall off. But the rewards are tremendous. You know, this past week, I was invited to go to a Mother's Day tea at my son's school where the children prepared a presentation. They, you know, served us cake and tea. And at the end, they gave us a card. And this card um, was a card that had basically every single child's, um, you know, like reasons why they love their moms. Can I share with you what my son wrote? All right, I'm going to share with you a little bit of what my son wrote. Bradley said, he's six years old in kindergarten. He said, every morning, mommy gives me hugs and kisses. She is really good at cooking, which just for the record, I'm actually not. (laughs) I love her dumplings. I love her spaghetti. I also love her pizza. She actually makes it for me to take to school on some pizza days. And I kid you not, half of the paragraph that he, you know, of, of his excerpt about me was all about food. And it really goes to show that the way to a man's heart is through his tummy, and it starts young. Then he continued to say this. He says, my mom always lets me figure things out before I get her help. She knows that when I am older, she is not going to be there always, and I am going to have to do it myself. I love my mom, and she is proud of me every day. 
you know, when I read this card, I was really touched. But the part that really touched me was not when Bradley says, I'm a really good cook. I'm encouraged. I'm really thankful for that. But it's actually knowing that he knows I am proud of him every single day. Because I find that since becoming a parent, one of the things that I struggle with sometimes is striking that perfect balance between pressure and support. It's that, it's that delicate balance of wanting to give enough pressure to your children so that they will grow, so that they will be challenged, but not giving them so much pressure that you push them over the edge. And, and I know as a mom sometimes, because we're not perfect, there are days when I'm like, oh, like, have I pushed him too much to a point where he's discouraged by his own efforts? But I, I thank God that he hears my prayers. And I thank God that, uh, you know, Bradley, at the end of the day, he knows that I am proud of him and I love him just the way he is. No matter how he messes up, no matter what he does, my love for him will never change and, and that I'm always proud of him. And the reason I say that is because, you know what, I believe that's how God sees him. And I believe that's how God sees every single one of us here. It's that no matter how we fail, no matter how we mess up, God's love for you and I will never change. And he is always, always, always proud of us. Tell the person next to you, God is always proud of you. But you know, if there's something else that I learned about being a mom, and it's that moms need a whole lot of courage. It brings us so much joy, but with that joy comes a lot of anxieties, a lot of worries, and, uh, you know, just worrying about the well-being and the future of our children. I look at my own mom, for example, and, um, you know, my mom is a person who is so full of strength and so full of courage. When I was eight years old, my parents decided that they wanted us to have a better education than what they received in Taiwan. And so my mom and dad decided that they would immigrate to Canada. But because my dad had to stay behind in Taiwan to work in order to provide for us financially, it was my mom who took me and my brother to Canada and, uh, and basically raised us here on her own for the next, 12, for the next about 10, 12 years. And, um, and back in the days, I really took things for granted. You know, I thought this is just what moms do. But now that I have become a mom, I really do not take for granted the kind of courage and the kind of strength that it took for her to do that. Coming to a foreign place, just like Saoie's mom, coming to a, a foreign place where she didn't know anyone and speaking a language that was foreign to her. And I can finally understand, now that I'm a mom, the kind of courage that it took for her to maintain and to sustain our family here in Vancouver. And you know what? It's not just my mom. It's actually... Every single mother in this place, it, it just takes such a tremendous amount of courage to be a mom. And that's actually the topic that I want to talk to you about today. You know, over the last two weeks, Pastor JB has been talking about street cred. And as Pastor JB defines it, let's look at it on the slide. Street cred is having a reputation for toughness, commanding respect from others, being relatable, having resources to succeed, and persevere in your environment. You and I, we were all born to be leaders with street cred. And so Pastor JB, over the last two weeks, he's been talking about two street cred killers. And if you remember how he defined it, he says that street cred killer is a bad habit or a character flaw that hurts your credibility as a leader. It's something that makes others don't want to follow you or invest in you. And it's a lid on your leadership. And the first street cred killer that he talked about, it was selfishness. And last week, he talked about inconsistency. 
Well, today I want to talk to you about the third street cred, and that street cred killer is fear. And I believe that this is a message not just for the mums in this place, but that this is a message for every single person because every single one of us at some point in life will face fear. What is fear? See, if I look it up in the dictionary and I look up the word fear, this is what it says. It says, fear is a feeling of anxiety and worry concerning the outcome of something or the safety of someone. And let me give you seven clues that you might struggle with fear. Number one, worries keep you up at night. Number two, the thought of one day dying scares you. Number three, sometimes I don't reach out to others because I'm afraid they will reject me. Number four, there's a dream in my heart which I have not pursued because I'm afraid I won't succeed. Number five, you tend to procrastinate and run out of time to complete your preparation adequately. Number six, there's a future uncertainty that's not yet resolved and you're afraid of how it's going to turn out. And number seven, because you don't believe God is going to work things out if you trust him and do things his way, sometimes you take shortcuts that you know are wrong. See, the fact is all of us struggle with some kind of fear. For some of us, it's the fear of heights. For others, it's fear of bugs. And for, you know, others, it's fears of the fear of criticism or failure or whatever it is. We, there's so many different kinds of fears and phobias. And the reason why street cred, it, the fear is a street cred killer is because whether you're raising a family or you're running a business, leading a team, or trying to make a difference in another person's life, fear keeps us from becoming the leader that God intended for you to be. And we're going to look at a passage in the Bible. We're going to look at one of the most famous moms in the Bible because it's Mother's Day. We're going to look at one of the most famous moms in the Bible and just look at how destructive fear could be. We're going to look at the story of Sarah. Now, Sarah was the wife of Abraham, and for those of you who've been following our game time, we've been going through Hebrews, and Sarah was actually the first woman who was mentioned in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame. And so Sarah was the wife of Abraham, and God gave Abraham a very, very large promise before he had any children. Let's read a passage together. It's from Genesis 15, 1 to 5. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Now let's fast forward a couple years. Because many years have gone by and Abraham's wife still had no children. And she was still barren. And so they were starting to get pretty anxious because both of them were getting along in the years and they were kind of passing their childbearing age. And so let's fast forward to Genesis 16 and let's read that. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. 
So Sarah said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram, his wife. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. Then Sarah said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Now, why am I sharing the story with you? And it's because I believe that Sarah's life illustrates three ways that fear can be a street cred killer. The first way is that fear causes us to make poor decisions. See, in the story of Abraham and Sarah, they had received this huge promise that they will have descendants as many as the stars in the sky. And God specifically said that you have a son of your own who will be your heir. God did not say, you need to go and adopt a son. God didn't say you need to marry another woman and have, you know, a son through her. But God says that you will have a son of your own and that son will become your heir. But years go by and Abraham and Sarah are both getting up there in age. They're starting to get a little bit anxious. You know, they're past the time of like fertility. And so Sarah begins to worry. And she, she was maybe in her head thinking, you know, has God forgotten about me? Like, maybe God has completely forgot about, forgotten about the promise. Is he really going to pull through for me? And so as a result, do you know what she did? She took the matters into her own hands. Now, I don't know. Has that ever happened to you? You're afraid that things are not going to work out well if you do things God's way. And so you take this shortcut, which deep down you know that it's probably wrong. And you think that shortcut is going to get you more quickly to where you want to go. But in the end, it just made things worse. Well, that's exactly what happened with Sarah. So she devised a plan, right? As we read in, six, in, in, in uh, chapter 16, she devised a plan and told Abraham to sleep with her maidservant, Hagar. And she says, you know what, Abraham, I'm going to give you my maidservant as wife, and, uh, and you can sleep with her, have a child with her, and maybe we can build a family through her. And so Abraham agreed and followed through with his plan, but it wasn't long before they realized that this is probably one of the biggest mistakes that they've ever made together as a couple. Because this plan eventually spiraled into catastrophe. See, when Hagar became pregnant, um, she, you know, she was starting to mistreat Sarah to a point where Sarah was getting so frustrated and maybe jealous at the same time that Sarah like, almost forced her maid to just run away. And, uh, you know, unbeknownst to Sarah at the time, eventually her mistake actually led to centuries, a centuries-long conflict between the son of Hagar, who was Ishmael, who are known as the Muslims today, and the sons of Isaac, who was eventually the son that they bore between um, Sarah and Abraham, and who are known as the Jews today. And it led to a centuries-long conflict And all this began because Sarah was scared and she was afraid that God would not pull through for her. What about you? Have you ever made a poor decision and it just kind of blew up in your face? 
or you, you know, maybe you're not at that point yet, but you're kind of at the point where you're, you're thinking about taking a shortcut because you haven't heard from God or God hasn't come through for you. And may, or like maybe you're in a marriage relationship and you're like, I've been praying about this. I've been, you know, I've, I've, I've been asking God for a miracle, but nothing is happening. And so you're thinking maybe the best thing to do is to have a divorce. Or maybe like, or just maybe you're like, you know, I've been praying to God. I really don't know if God is hearing me. You know, actually, I don't even know if God is around. And so why don't I go and consult a fortune teller or a spiritist? But can I tell you something? Just because we don't see God at work, it does not mean that God is not doing anything. Because there's nothing worse than getting ahead of God's timetable and taking matters into your hands. Because you will make, end up making a big mistake and a poor decision that you might regret for the rest of your life. And that's the first reason why fear is a street cred killer. You know, the second thing that we learn about fear being a street cred killer from Sarah's life is that fear hurts your relationship with people. I mean, just look at what happened in Sarah's situation. Her mistake put a huge strain on her marriage with Abraham. You know, it, it uh, strained her employee and employer relationship with Hagar. And not only that, her mistake actually caused other people um, to have strained relationships. For example, Ishmael, Hagar's son, never got to be with his dad. And all of this was because Sarah acted in fear. And she became a control freak whose actions hurt the people around her. Has that ever happened to you before? Because of fear, you get really anxious, you get jealous, and you become overly controlling. Or you become a nag, or you become a worrier. And as a result, it puts a strain on the relationships that you have with other people in your life. And, um, you know, that's the second reason why a street fear is such an awful street cred killer. Number three, the third reason is because fear keeps you from dreaming big. And dreaming big is so important, especially for leaders. Whether you are leading a family, whether you are a parent leading an organization, whatever it is, it is so important for leaders to dream big. And maybe you're here today, and God has put this really big dream in your heart. And, but because of fear, you hesitate to pursue it. That's what happened with Sarah. See, God gave Abraham and Sarah such an incredible vision. They were going to be parents in their old age. There's, this was going to be an incredible testimony to show how powerful God is to make the impossible possible. And not only were they going to have children of their own, but God's promise to them was that they would become fathers and mothers to many nations and that the world was going to be blessed through them. But you know what? That was God's dream for Sarah. But because Sarah had so much fear in her heart, she couldn't focus on that dream. Instead, she was concerned about, when am I going to have that child? When is that child coming? How am I going to get that child? And because she was living in so much fear, all that she could think about was the present, the now, and how am I going to get that child right now? And she stopped dreaming big. And it goes to show that fear can have this paralyzing effect on a leader. When you're constantly thinking about the things that will go wrong, you can't enjoy life right? You can't inspire others. You can't motivate. You can't lead them well. And when you're living in fear, you're basically living in survival mode. And that's when a leader is becoming ineffective, uninspiring, and unmotivating. When a leader stops dreaming big, they no longer become effective leaders, and they're unable to lead others. And those are just a few of the, th- a few of the reasons 
why fear puts a lid on our ability to, to lead. And the fact is that if you don't learn to overcome and confront your fears, fears will paralyze your potential, keep you from becoming the leader that God made you to be. And so the big question is, how do we overcome fear? Now, you might have heard a lot of people say, just don't be afraid, especially when they're facing a situation. You're comforting the other person. You're saying, just don't be afraid. You know, you're, everything's going to be fine. Everything is going to be all right. In fact, you know, I look at the Bible and I find so many verses in the Bible that says, don't be afraid. Isaiah 43 says, do not fear for I have redeemed you. You know, Joshua 1.10, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. John 14.27, do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Psalm 34, he delivered me from all fears. These are just a few examples from the Bible where it says, do not fear and do not be afraid. And for the longest time, I thought that overcoming fear means that I need to brainwash myself, tell myself enough times that, you know what, just, just don't be afraid, don't be afraid, and that somehow the fears would just dissipate and that they would just disappear. But I've come to realize that it's actually not the case. That's not how we overcome fear. Because being set free from fear does not mean the disappearance of it. Can I say that again? Being set free from fear does not mean the disappearance of it. Because just when you think that you've overcome one fear, maybe it's the fear of heights, just around the corner, there's going to be something else that is waiting for you. Another fear waiting for you to take over. And it's because life changes and circumstances change. And this is such an important point, because if you're in this place today and you think that courage is about fighting all of your fears and getting rid of all of your fears, then you're completely missing the point. That day probably will never come. But I believe when the Bible says, do not fear, do not be afraid, what, is, what God is saying is not, you know, don't feel fear or don't feel afraid. But I think God, what God is saying is when you face fear, don't run from it but learn to confront it, right? What does it mean to overcome fear? See, overcoming fear is about learning to recognize it, know that you have authority over it so that you can choose to either, either let it rule you or rule it. And, and to put it even more bluntly, I think overcoming fear does not mean that you wipe out all the fears in your life, but I think it's learning to deal with it while you are still afraid at times. You know, the Bible teaches us that the greatest antidote to fear is faith. Everyone say faith. And this past week in our game time, we've been looking a lot at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 1, I think it's on the screen. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What is faith? Well, faith, many people think of faith as being feelings or, you know, emotions. And so today they'll be like, oh, today I feel so much faith. When in fact, actually, the Bible tells us that faith is something you cannot see, and faith is something that you don't necessarily feel. But faith, what it is, is that it's a conscious decision that you make about where we're going to put our trust today. It's about saying, looking at the situation as bad as it might be, and saying, you know what, I'm going to put my trust in God, and I'm going to believe that he will carry me through this. And as believers, we all need faith because Hebrews eleven six 6 says, we cannot please God without faith. See, it is by faith that we are forgiven. It is by faith that we receive salvation. It is by faith that we can actually live out our God-given destinies. Having faith is the key to overcoming our fears. And this is the thing about faith. It's like a muscle. 
See, when we don't use our muscle, it just atrophies and it becomes weak. But when we use our muscles, it actually becomes larger and it becomes stronger. And faith is exactly like that. We all have faith, except we have to use it in order for us to grow. And I want to share with you a story of how I'm learning to overcome fear by exercising my faith. Earlier, I mentioned to you that Pastor JB and I are expecting our, sec- our second child in July. And about a month ago, there was some just abnormal bleeding that happened in the middle of the night. And so, um, so I got up and, uh, and I said, you know, Pastor JB, I, I, think, um, I think I should probably go check- get it checked out in the hospital and, um, because it doesn't, it's, it's not normal. And so, um, so I went to the hospital and very quickly they arranged for me to have a room and uh, they did, you know, the blood work, and they, um, they also, like, did uh, physical exams. They put a fetal monitor, like, on my belly just to make sure that baby's heartbeat was normal and that everything was fine. And, um, and they also did an ultrasound. And so the, so the hospital was, you know, very vigilant, and they, and they just um, they arranged for things very quickly for me that day. And at the end of the day, it was a really long day, I... Um, you know, the doctors came back and they said, you know, everything related to the bleeding is normal. Like, we can't find anything wrong with you, and uh, we can't find the cause of the bleeding. And, um, you know, thankfully, baby is healthy, and baby is, um, her heart rate is normal. And so, uh, you know, we really couldn't find anything. But they sat us down, and they said, but I do have something else I need to tell you. And so, you know, we were getting a little anxious. I was like, what, what else could there be? And the doctors explained that while they were doing the ultrasound, they found that baby's neck was a little bit larger. And, um, and that the, the thyroid actually had a goiter, like it had a lump um, on his neck. And, uh, th- you know, they weren't checking for that. They were just doing sort of growth measurements. And for some reason, they found it that day. And they said... Um, you know, we're going to have to arrange for you to see uh, our specialist team as soon as possible um, because the baby's neck um, with that goiter could actually lead to a lot of complications. And so we're sitting there and we're listening and, he's like, and she's explaining this to us and she's like, you know, um, the goiter could become so large that it compresses the trachea, which is how we breathe. And if it compresses the trachea to a point where the baby, like, there's no more oxygen supply, the baby could actually be born without the ability to breathe on his own. And so that day, um, you know, they discharged me from the hospital. But um, I went home, and I was completely speechless. I wasn't expecting this kind of news. I felt scared, and I felt completely helpless. And so within the next few days... Um, you know, the, the hospital actually arranged for me very quickly to see the specialist team. And so um, I went back to the hospital, and all of a sudden I became just a regular, normal pregnant patient to now being a very high-risk pregnancy patient who is now being very closely monitored on a weekly basis and uh, who has a team of specialists who meet with me every single day just to see, or every single week, just to see if there's any progress in the baby's goiter. And at our next meeting, you know, uh, we received even more information about it. And uh, the specialist team was like, you know, we, just out of precaution, like, we have planned out an exit procedure for your child. And they said, um, you know, we're going to have a team of people from both BC Women's Hospital and Children's Hospital to be at your delivery. 
and we're going to do C-section because we're going to take the child out. And just in case his goiter doesn't decrease in size until the day of his delivery, we're, we're going we're gonna to take the child out of your womb. We're going to put a tube down his lung so that he can have oxygen, and we're going to help him with breathing. And at that point, like, tears started rolling down my eyes, and I just, I just didn't know what to say, and I didn't know what to do. And I was, um, I was completely shocked because this was unlike anything I had ever imagined for my child. This was unlike any birth plan, if I had any, that, you know, I, I thought I would have. And there were just a thousand what ifs going through my head. Like, what if, what if this child doesn't make it? Like, what if he does make it and he's on oxygen support for the rest of his life? Like, what if, like, you know, I just had so many questions and so many worries and so many anxieties. And if I had to be very honest, I think I was actually a little bit frustrated. A little bit is probably an understatement. I was quite frustrated with God because I was like, Lord, like, I've been praying for a healthy child. Pastor JB Bradley and I have been praying every single day for a healthy child. In fact, we've been praying for a healthy child even before I became pregnant. Is this your idea of what a healthy child looks like? And I was so frustrated with God. And, um, and that night, I remember I was praying. And, and, I, and as I was praying, I just sensed the Holy Spirit whisper into my heart. And the Holy Spirit was like, Charlene, why can't you see this from another perspective? I'm like, what other perspective could there possibly be? And God was like, can you see that I'm actually trying to protect you? You know, you're finding out this at 29 weeks of your pregnancy. You still have about 10, 11 weeks to go. And uh, had you not had bleeding and gone into the hospital and gotten this ultrasound, you would have never found out that your child has a scoiter. And no doctors would have intervened. There would be no exit procedure. And in my heart, I was like, you know what? Like, maybe God, you're right. Because had I not found out, had no one intervened, there's a very high likelihood that I would go through the rest of this pregnancy not knowing anything about the health of my child. And at delivery, maybe this child would really come out unable to breathe. And except at that time, it would be too late because there's no exit procedure planned out by the hospital. And so as hard as it was to see this as God's goodness, as hard as it was to accept the truth, as hard it was for me to digest it all, I knew that I had a choice to make. I knew that I had to choose to whether trust in God or and try to get through this on my own or that I was going to put my trust in him and, um, and, 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 and just trust that he is going to make all things good in his timing. And I chose the latter. You know, I'd be lying to you if I told you that the the last month has been easy. The fact is, it's been really tough because, like I said, fear is not something that just disappears no matter how much you pray. But one thing, if I were to show you my journal from the last four weeks of, 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 of my life, you would just find verses after verses after verses of me declaring and proclaiming the word of God over my child and over my fears. You know, on those days when I feel like I'm scared, I go to Isaiah and I'd be like, God, I just declare that I'm, I, will, I will have no fear because you are with me. 
you know, when, when I'm thinking about my child and whether God is going to do something about this or not. You know, I, I go to Jeremiah 33 and I said, where it says, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. And so I hang on to those morsels that I find in the Bible of promise and hope. And I say, Lord, I believe, I believe that you're going to bring health to my child. I believe that you're going to heal him. And I believe that he is going to enjoy abundant peace and security. You know, in those times when I doubt and I, and I wonder, God, like, are you even like going to do anything about this? I go back to the fact that, you know what? The Bible tells me that God knit this child together in my womb. And that Philippians tells me that he will carry his work on to completion. And I'm like, God, you're not finished, okay? There is a child to heal. And I trust that he's not going to, he's not just going to let this child go. And so there, there was just so many verses that I would go through. And if I have to be honest, that's how I think I gain strength. And that's how I gain faith. That's how I find hope every single day. And I wish I could tell you that since the day I started praying, all my fears have disappeared. Well, the fact is they haven't, because at this point, baby's situation hasn't changed. And my heart um, is still really heavy at times. You know, I remember the, the next week we go back. They're looking at the ultrasound, and they're like, um, baby's goiter size hasn't changed. It hasn't decreased. And I walk away, and I was so disappointed, because I was like, okay, God, like, it's been a week. How are you going to do something about this? The second week, which is actually just this past Monday, we walk in, and uh, baby was in a, in a position where the doctors couldn't really measure his neck. And so we walked away with no progress and with no status change. But I know that even though the circumstances have not changed, I'm a lot more at peace with the situation because I know that my God is in control and that he is going to be responsible till the end. And, you know, perhaps you're someone in this place today and you're going through an uncertain situation which is causing you to fear the future. Can I share with you three ways that you can overcome your fears with faith? These are three ways that I'm practicing and using in my life every single day. Number one, it's to believe in God's goodness and his love. You know, if you're someone who struggles with believing in God's promises and trusting God and working something out for good, then you're not alone because Sarah did the exact same thing. And as we read earlier, she struggled with this so much that she resorted to her own shortcuts that she probably knew was wrong. And she did it all because of fear. And when she took the shortcuts, she realized that her way just made things worse. And so finally, finally in Hebrews, we find out that she came to the conclusion that trusting in God and his timing was the best way to go. You know, in Hebrews 11, 11, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considers him faithful who had made the promise. It's such an encouragement for us, especially as, as, like, as we struggle with fear in our lives, is that you don't have to stay in that place of fear, but that with God, you can actually move from a place of fear into a place of faith, trusting in his goodness and his love. One of the scriptures that's really helped me over the last couple of weeks is Psalm 23, 6, where it says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, when I look at this verse, it says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. It does not mean that life will not have any challenges, any difficulties. It actually does not mean that 
life is going to be a walk in the park. In fact, there are more verses in the Bible talking about how there will be hardships, right? John 16, 33, Jesus specifically said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. And the Bible tells us that we need to endure and persevere in those times of hardships. And if we think as Christians that we will never encounter hardships and face challenges, then we're deeply, deeply mistaken because that was never God's promise. But you know what God did promise? God did promise that he will bring good out of every single bad situation. Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And it's the idea that we cannot control what will happen in life, but we can rest assured that God is with us and that he will make sure that there is a good ending to every bad thing that happens to us. And if we go back to Psalm 23, 6, where it says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That's talking about God's goodness. That's talking about God's love. And it's saying that God is not punishing us, that God, doesn't, God is not here to harm us. He's not here to hurt us, but, the, but he's actually here to love us. That was the reason why he created us in the first place. And guess what? There's never been a moment in your life when God has stopped watching over you. That's his provision, that's his goodness, and that's his love. Psalm 145 says, the Lord watches over all who love him. You know, he doesn't miss any details. In fact, I believe that he knows more about what is going to happen to you today than you even know yourself. And when I look at my situation, I think that's exactly what God did with me. Because I had no idea that something was wrong. I had no idea that baby's health was at risk. And, um, and it was all because God knew he was protecting me and protecting this child and protecting our family. So, and it was simply because of his love, because of, a good, because of his goodness, that he actually let me know the news at 29 weeks. And instead of being upset with him, Instead of being, you know, frustrated at the fact that he would allow something like this to happen, I'm grateful that he intervened at the right time. And I know that there is still time for him to work this out. And maybe you're here and you're going through a really tough time right now. Can I encourage you to not blame God, but to trust in him? Believe that his goodness and that his love will follow you all the days of your life such that you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you will fear no evil. Amen? Amen. The second way that I've learned to overcome fear with faith is to declare God's promises. You know, um, it's it's actually not enough to simply know in our heads, to know in our hearts, but it's actually more important that we declare God's promises. And the reason for that is because faith is something that we activate with our voice. See, if you look at Genesis, the very first chapter in the Bible, Genesis 1-3, it says, and God said, the key word is said, let there be light, and there was light. And we don't have time to look at like the entire chapter of Genesis, looking at how God created the entire world through his spoken word. But that's how actually God created water, Like, that's how he created mountains. That's how he created creatures. God spoke everything into being with his words. And and, and this passage really shows us that, see, the first purpose of language is actually not communication. It's actually creation. Everyone's a creation. 
And as Pastor JB has taught us in the past, you know, we create our worlds through our words. Because if you speak negative, complaining, and hopeless words, then you will create your world to become filled with fear, negativity, and hopelessness. But if you start speaking positive words and words of faith uh, according to God's promises, your life will be filled with hope, with vision, and with miracles. And so if you don't want to be a slave to fear today, you need to start speaking and declaring the promises of God found in his word. And can I just share with you one of the most effective ways to pray? It's actually to pray directly with God's word. See, when you pray God's word, you don't have to worry about, am I praying in alignment with God's plans? Am I, am I praying in accordance with God's will? Because as John Maxwell once said, he says, when you pray God's word, you pray God's will. And so when I'm praying for a baby and I'm declaring God's word, you know, I don't say, oh, Lord, you know, if it is your will, then please heal my child. I don't say that because I go to the Bible. I look at Jeremiah 33, 6, and I says, and it says, I will bring health and healing. I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. And so when I pray, I pray with confidence. I pray. I know that the will of God is to heal. And so I go, I go to my journal and I say, Lord, I thank you that your will is to bring health and healing to my child. And it's for my child to enjoy abundant peace and abundant blessing and security. And so I declare that promise over my child today. And I do the same for myself. You know, on days when I'm scared, I just declared 2 Timothy 1.7, where it says, you know, God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but he gave us a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And so on days when I'm scared, I'm like, Lord, I know that according to your word, fear is not from you. And so in Jesus' name, I come against that fear, and I proclaim that I have the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And I believe that I can stand above any situation and that I can stand firm. On days when my faith is weak, and, uh, and, and that's many days, right? I go to Hebrews 4. I remember on that day, I was, we were doing our game time. And it says that we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with us, who knows our weaknesses, who's been tempted in every way just like us. And so we can come to his throne with so much confidence, knowing that we will receive grace and mercy in our time of need. And in those desperate times when I feel like I really don't have much more to give, I just go to God and I say, God, I know that you know how I feel. I know that you know the pain that I'm feeling inside. I know you know the anxieties and the worries that I'm feeling right now. And I thank you that you, your word promises that you will extend mercy and you would extend grace to me. And so for you, if you want to overcome fear and you want to experience breakthroughs in your life and you want to see changes happening, then you need to start speaking words of faith and declaring the promises of God. Amen? Amen. Last point, and I'm going to close today. The last point is trusting in God's timing. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, I trust God. Yeah, I surrendered, to, surrendered it to God. But what does trust really look like? See, I believe that trust is about waiting on God. Instead of jumping the gun, instead of taking shortcuts and taking matters into your hands, it's about waiting for him, for his timing to work things out his way. Psalm 27, it says, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. These past several weeks, Pastor Javen and I have spent a lot of time at the hospital. Every single week, we're waiting in the waiting room for ultrasounds and for the doctors to come in. 
And I can tell you that it's, it's, uh, it's a nerve-wracking thing sometimes to be sitting there for an extended period of time. Because while I'm sitting there and waiting for the doctors, there's just anxious thoughts going through my head. It's like, is it, you know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen at today's appointment? You know, am I going to find out something that I didn't expect? And, uh, or sometimes you're just kind of blankly staring at the wall and you're just waiting for someone to say the doctor's ready to see you, right? But waiting for God is totally different. See, when we wait for God, we can talk to him as we wait for him. And you can enjoy his presence as you wait for him because he's already there. And waiting, whereas waiting in the hospital causes anxieties and worries, waiting on God actually gives us more peace. And so if you're going through a tough time today, and, um, and you know, I, can I encourage you, like, the best thing that you can do is to actually spend time in God's presence, coming to church regularly, getting plugged into a small group, surrounding yourself with people who have faith and who can encourage you, and uh, reading God's word, praying. Because when you do these things, you're, you're waiting on God and trusting in his timing, and you'll experience more of God's peace in this situation. Can I tell you the second way it means to trust and wait for God's timing? See, trusting and waiting God's timing, there's two ways to wait. I believe there are two ways. One is a very passive kind of waiting where maybe you just pray and you're like, all right, God, like I presented my case and you're sitting there and just kind of waiting for God to do something. And time is ticking and, you know, when you get to a point where it's like, I've had enough, God hasn't done anything. All right, God, I'm going to take this into my own hands and I'm going to take care of it myself or I'm going to help you. Right? That's not the kind of waiting that I'm talking about. The kind of waiting I'm talking about is waiting expectantly. It's kind of like being pregnant. Of course, the women in this place would know this a little bit better. But I remember when Pastor JB and I found out that we were expecting Bradley, you know, this child was inside of me. But at the very beginning, like, I sometimes would forget that there's actually a child inside of me. But the fact is, it was there. And so we would wait expectantly because we know that it's just a matter of time that Bradley would arrive. And so we would collect the things that we need for the nursery. We would start buying, you know, like mattresses and cribs and car seats and clothes and toys and all these different things. And we did all of those things in preparation of something that even though we did not see, we knew was going to be coming. And in the same way, when we wait for God's timing to answer our prayers, we need to do the same thing by waiting expectantly. And what does that look like for us? You see, another word, another definition for the word wait, it's not just expect or to look for, but did you know that it also means to wait? Kind of like at a restaurant when the waiter is waiting on you and like serving you to give you your food. That's actually another meaning of the word wait. And, and what, it, what it means for us is that as Christians, as believers, when we wait expectantly, we're not just sitting there passively and waiting for God to come through for us, but we are actually serving God with everything that we have, serving God with our talents and saying, you know what, even through this process, I'm going to give you glory, I'm going to give God honor, and I'm going to praise him because I believe that the best is yet to come. And when we do that, our time of waiting actually becomes a time of preparation. And before you know it, God is going to come and break through with an answer you least expect. Those are just three ways that I have found in my life how I've learned to exercise faith over fear in situations. And I wish I could stand here today and I could tell you that baby is healed and that I'm going to have a smooth and easy delivery 
and, uh, and that, you know, in several weeks, baby will be able to breathe on his own, and that there will be no problems. But I can't. I have no evidence or any proof of that right now. But I know that in the meantime, when I'm waiting for God to answer my prayers, I can do three things. Number one, I can believe in God's goodness and in his love and trust that he will work all things out for the good of those who love him. Number two, I can declare God's promises over my family, that he has a plan to prosper me and not to harm me. And number three, I can trust in God's timing and just know that he is a God who keeps to his word and he will fulfill his promise at the perfect time. And maybe you're in a situation today and you feel like it's a pretty scary situation to you. Well, I'm here to tell you that today you don't need to just sit there and be tortured by your anxieties, worries, and fears. But instead, you can have faith and believe that God's goodness and his love is for you. Declare his promises for your life and trust that in his perfect timing, he will work all things out. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And we're going to just have a time of being able to respond to God. Maybe today you're sitting here and there's a situation which you're scared about. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's um, something that you're not sure if you're going to get over. Maybe it's the health of someone that you really love. Or maybe it's your finances. You're not sure if you're going to be able to make ends meet. Or maybe it's your job and your career. Or maybe it's your marriage. Whatever fear you might be facing today about the future, I want you to know that you are not alone. But that God loves you and he wants to help you face every single one of your fears. It doesn't mean that fears will disappear, but he will give you all the strength and all the faith and all the courage and all the confidence that you need to face and confront your fears. And so if that's you today, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three, and I want to pray for you. One, two, three. Praise God. Dearest Heavenly Father, thank you that you have not given us a spirit of timidity and fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. And I lift up every single one of my brothers and sisters in this place who is struggling right now and dealing with fears regarding their health, maybe the health of someone they love, maybe it's their finances or their marriage, their jobs, their future, whatever it is. God, I pray that you would surround them with your presence right now. I pray that they would know that they are not alone, but that you are with them and that you can help them overcome their fears. I pray that they will not take matters into their own hands, but to have faith in you. I pray that during this time they will believe that goodness and love will follow them all the days of their lives. I pray that they would declare and proclaim your promises found in your word to help them overcome their fears. And I pray that they would trust in your timing and believe that you're going to work all things out for the good of those who love him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And before we end off today, there's a second group of people that I want to pray for. And maybe you're sitting in this place today and you're listening to this message and you realize that you've been consumed and gripped by fear and that it's, it's paralyzed you from making good decisions or dreaming big or becoming an effective leader. Maybe this is the first time you've heard that actually you don't need to live in fear, but that there's a God waiting to help you and that 
and, and, and then that God is waiting to help you overcome your fears, your worries, and your anxieties. If that's you today, and you want to have Jesus in your heart to help you overcome all of those things, then I invite you to raise your hand at the count of three, and I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And we're going to actually ask every single person to say this prayer together in support, in support of those who are saying it for, for the first time. Amen? And so I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Lord Jesus, I come before you today. And I, and I surrender all that I am and all that I have. I surrender my past, my present, my future, my fears, my worries, all of my anxieties to you. I want to know your peace. I want to know your purpose and your plan for my life because I can't do this on my own. And so I invite you to come into my heart today so that I can leave here a new person with the ability to overcome whatever overcome whatever life may throw at me life may throw at me in Jesus name I pray 